once again, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to speak this morning on the subject of restoring broken relationships. No matter how close you think you are to the Lord or how uh, close your life has been to the Lord, sooner or later you're going to find yourself in a relationship that has been broken. Uh, there's something that's going to divide. Uh, the scripture this morning that I want to start off with is down in verse number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. The Bible says, Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast. Your translation may have the word depressed. Paul was in a very depressed state. He was depressed for a couple of reasons. Number one, he was waiting for his friend Titus. He had sent Titus to, to, uh, to go to the church of Corinth to, to see what the situation was like. And he had not gotten word back. The second reason why he was depressed is because here's a church that he had founded. Here's a church that he had invested in, Paul. And this church was full of sin. This church was immature. This church was siding many with the false teachers of the day. And Paul was just a little bit depressed, wondering if the work in Corinth was just going to fold away. So he's discouraged. He's discouraged, he's depressed because of this broken relationship between he and the church of Corinth. Those who have a desire to walk with Christ have not been exempt from times of depression or down times. One has said, depression has been called the common cold of the soul. Sooner or later, most people catch it. God's children are not immune to that. I really believe that. Earlier in my ministry, I thought, no, man, we, you're saved. You ought to have joy 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And that didn't work out. And I've learned through times of ministry and even not only, many, not, not only apart from ministry, but in my own relationships that it's, it's tough. There are times where life can be challenging. And not everybody will agree with you. And not everybody will be nice to you. And words may come across and relationships can divide. So how do you, how do you handle all that? What do you do? You may be in a situation this morning where you know of someone that used to be a friend and there's that divide, there's that wall between you and that other person. There's a broken relationship that is there. I believe Paul gives us some guidance this morning in verse 2 of chapter 7 all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 16. Because of the length of the passage, we're going to have to walk quickly uh, and see this text that he has. But the first thing I want you to see is in these uh, couple of verses starting out in verse 2 and following. Listen to what he says. And I'm going to read these a little bit slower because I don't want you to miss this part. Because it really sets up the rest of the message. Paul says, open your hearts to us. He's writing this letter to the church of Corinth. He's already written one stern letter. Confronting them for their sin. Now he writes another one. It says, open your hearts to us. We've wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We've cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all tribulation, for indeed... When we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, for we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, and inside were fears. How do you restore a broken 
relationship. I believe the first part we see in these first couple of verses, verses 2 through 5, is that it takes a joyful heart. The first step in restoring a broken heart, a broken relationship, is to have a heart that is joyful. You know that the only way you can have a heart that is joyful is, is, is a heart surrounded by the presence of God. Paul is a believer, and he's writing to believers. So when you think about these relationships, this is between you and someone who is saved. This is between you and a fellow church member. This is between you and somebody that you know that, that is saved, and there's a wall between you and that other person for, for whatever reason. It's probably something little and probably something small. But the enemy has used that to divide. The first step that we learn here is that you have a heart that is joyful. Notice what Paul says. Now, was Paul in the wrong? No. Paul just confronted them because of their sin in a loving, godly way. So he says in verse 2, open up your hearts to us. Paul says, my heart is open. My heart is willing to make the wall go down. I am willing to do whatever I have to do in order to rebuild and restore this relationship. He says, open up your hearts to us. He reminded them that his heart was wide open for restoration. You know, I almost just stopped the message right there. I said, I'm going to preach a message on open your hearts to us. Because you're sitting there and you're saying, but Brother John, you don't know my situation. And I will never go back to that person again because of what they've done to me. That's not what verse 2 says. Verse 2 says, open up my hearts to you. Paul was being called a false apostle. Paul was being called everything in the book. Paul was taking beatings for this church, taking beatings for his relationship with Christ. Yet he says, hey, I want to restore our relationship. There's not a situation on this planet that should cause division among God's children. Nothing. Nothing should cause division among the children of God. Because when one person has a joyful heart and the other person has a joyful heart, guess what? There are no walls and hearts that are joyful. Because Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sin. He's taken down that wall of separation of sin. And he has welcomed us. And he says to you, if you're not a believer, open up your heart to me, Jesus says. So there's no situation on this planet that should ever cause division among fellow believers. If something has, which it does, then let's work it out. Let's come in with a joyful heart. Open up your hearts to us. Look at what Paul says. We've wronged nobody. In other words, Paul says, we have not treated anyone unjustly. We have not corrupted no one. Or we have corrupted no one, which means moral corruption. We've cheated no one. We have not, that word cheated means to defraud for, for financial gain or for some selfish gain. Paul says, we, we're not, we haven't done any of that. He says in verse 3, I do not say this to condemn you. The word condemn means to pass final judgment. Paul says, look, I'm not writing you off. Maybe you've written someone off. And you say, you know what, I'll never go back again because of what they've done. Paul says here in this passage, I hadn't done that. I believe in a God who can do anything. I believe in a God who can raise the dead. If God can raise the dead, surely God can fix this situation that we're going through in our life. I do not say this to condemn. I don't, I don't pass final judgment 
That's not what Christianity is all about. He says, for I have said before, let's look at, look at verse 3. This is where I just kind of camped out on this week because I couldn't, I've read it a thousand times in my life, but it just seemed like it just fell off the page this week. I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Now, now maybe my Bible uh, translators didn't translate this right from the Greek language. Maybe it's supposed to say, we're going to live together and then we're going to die together. But now, the Holy Spirit got it right. He says, we're going to die together. We're going to die together as believers in Christ, and then we're going to live together for all eternity. That one person that there's a wall of separation between you and a fellow believer, that fellow believer will walk the streets of heaven with you for all eternity. The quicker you can handle that situation, the better your life is going to be. He says, we're going to die together. And then we're going to live together for all. You see the joyful heart that is coming out. Paul was not in the wrong. Paul didn't do anything wrong. Paul is not the one who has sinned. This is the church. This is the ones who has let in these false teachers. Yet Paul says we're going to die together. We're going to live together. We've got to have a heart that is joyful. A relationship that will transcend death. And it will last forever. But it gets even more um, shocking his speech in verse 4 great is my boldness of speech toward you it's almost like Paul says you can't say anything to me that will keep me from talking to you wow there's not a word in the English language Paul says that will keep me from being bold and talking about my love for you a joyful heart Great is my boasting on your behalf. I still brag on you, Paul says. Yeah, I've been called every name in the book, but I love you because you are a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to to tell the whole world, and I want to boast in a positive way. Paul's confidence and his boasting was not based on their track record. Their track record was immaturity and sin. Paul's confidence was based on, I believe, when he goes back to the first letter that he wrote, actually the second letter, but it was the first one that we have in our scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, that says, love believes all things, love hopes all things. Paul had this love of Christ in his heart, this joyful heart. He says, in my boasting, I bragged on you because of what the Lord was doing in your life And inside the Corinthian church. We love our fellow believers. Not based on what they do to us. But based on whose they are. They are a child of God. And when we we look at situations and circumstances. And base our reaction upon what someone does. We become a shallow Christian. Which means that our relationship is real shallow. It has to be, we have to love people who love us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, even the tax collectors do that. We base our love in Matthew 5, 44 on those that are our enemies. He says, love your enemies. Jesus told that to those who were listening to the day because many of the enemies of the day were their closest acquaintances and they are for us as well. It's the people that we know the most. 
It's not necessarily those who are overseas persecuting Christians. Yes, we need to love them as well. But for the, the text and the love, it's in our own sphere of world, in our own lifestyle. Of people that we come in contact with, we are to love them the way Jesus Christ loves them. God, give us a heart like Jesus. Give us a heart when his own disciple, who was the spokesman of the group, denied him three times when Jesus was about to go to the cross and die for his sins. Give us a heart after the crucifixion like Jesus to go up to Peter and say, Peter, do you love me? Because I love you. Do you love me? Give us a heart like Jesus where we love with a joyful heart. We love unconditionally. We love with a selfless heart. We love not based on what somebody does, but we love based on what Christ is doing in our heart. Our love for Christ is as great as our love for our least enemy. You ever thought about that? Our love for Christ today. How much do you love Jesus? Your love for Jesus is as strong as your love for that person who hates you today. Because Jesus said that the whole law can be summed up in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one is like it, which means you can't divide it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Which means you can't love Jesus if you don't love your neighbor. And you can't love your neighbor unless you love Jesus. It takes a joyful heart. It takes a heart that is built upon the power of the Holy Spirit of God. But he goes on a second one. Not only is it a joyful heart, but number two, an encouraging heart. He says in verse number six, Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast, who comforts the depressed, he said he comforted us, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning and your zeal for me, that I rejoiced even more. An encouraging heart. Paul had sent Titus to Corinth to check on things. They had received the first letter. It was a stern letter. And he wanted to send Titus. Basically, Titus, go see what the, go see what the temperature's like in the church. Go see what people are saying. I want to know what it's like. So Paul sent Titus to get word. The church loved Titus and they were going to meet in Troas. So Paul uh, later on goes to Troas. Well, Titus never showed up. Not only does he begin to think, well, the church doesn't like him. The church is, 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 uh, uh, is, is being uh, d divided from Paul. But now Titus is not here. That'll make anybody depressed. Not only do the people who don't like you talking about you but now your friend who you sent to get word has not come to meet you so Paul's depressed yet he goes on to Macedonia the Bible says in verse number five and the Bible says he has no rest he's troubled on every side outside were conflicts because of the mess that was happening in Macedonia that's another sermon another story inside were fears these were fears of wondering if the work was going to stop Yet in Macedonia walks Titus. And how encouraging Titus was to the Apostle Paul. Not only do we need to have a joyful heart, but we must have an encouraging heart. You know, usually when God puts us, uh, or, or when God works through us, when God comforts us through depressing times, a lot of times He uses somebody else. 
You've been that person to someone else. You've been that friend. You've been that encourager. You've been that ear that somebody has talked to you about to, 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 to seek advice because of a broken relationship. You've sat there and you've listened and you were that tight. You were that encouraging one. Maybe you're here and you're in a broken relationship and, and you don't know what to do. Maybe there is a Titus in your life. That one who can encourage you, who can pray for you, who can guide you through Scripture to restore that which had been broken. Paul says, even in the midst of conflicts on every side, Titus was there. And the Bible says down in verse number 7, he says, I rejoiced. And I rejoiced even more because there was a brother in Christ who encouraged me through this. Paul rejoiced. He rejoiced because he was God-focused. And he rejoiced because he was focused on other people. Paul was concerned about a church that had been full of sin. But there's a third thing the Bible teaches. Not only does it a joyful heart, not only is it an encouraging heart, but number three, there has to be a repentant heart. A repentant heart. Look at verse 8 and following. For even if I made you sorry with my letter... Paul says, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a little while. Sometimes the truth hurts. He says, but now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Titus had come back to tell Paul, hey, the church has repented. They had taken your letter, your stern letter. Read 1 Corinthians. That'll keep you up at night. Just to see the, the, the approach that Paul took one sin after one sin after one sin. There was immorality in the church. There were people in the church suing each other. There were people misusing the Lord's Supper. You name it, those things were going on. People were being dismissed from the church. And Paul says, your uh, response to the truth, you repented. And what a joy that was for Paul to hear that. There's a difference, listen to me, there's a difference between worldly grief and godly grief. There are some here today who are going through broken relationships and you're grieving because of that. There's two types of grief. There's a worldly grief, there's a godly grief. How do you know the difference? Worldly grief cannot be separated from sin and self. One of the major characteristics of worldly grief is bitterness. I will not go back to that person. They have wronged me. My life will never be the same. And I just hope they just die and I never see them again. You are grieving. You sure are. And you're grieving with sin because what has happened is that broken relationship has built inside of you not a joyful heart, not an encouraging heart, but a sinful, bitter heart. That's why some of the most miserable people on the planet are bitter Christians. Because they know what they're doing is wrong. And they know they must offer forgiveness. They know they must extend a handshake of grace. 
but their bitter, worldly grief. It grieves over consequences. It aches with embarrassment. It focuses on their own hurt. It's a self-pity. It's a poor, poor, pitiful me. It's a hee-haw type of grief. You know, blues, despair, agony on me. That's what it is. Some of y'all don't know what hee-haw is, but some of us are getting older. We know what hee-haw is. Young people, YouTube it. It's the best thing you ever watch. But then there's godly grief. See, worldly grief leads to bitterness and sin and disobedience to the Word of God. But then there's godly grief. It comes from knowing that your actions are not pleasing to God. The Corinthians got this letter. They were called to the carpet, and yet they repented. They had this grief that caused them to say, God, there's, not, there's something that's not right in our life. It drives us to Christ because our sin leads to repentance. And the scripture goes on to say in verse 9, it says, I rejoice that you were made sorrow, but your sorrow led repentance, for you were made sorrow in a godly manner, godly grief, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. In other words, the, the, the development of your salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. Now there's seven ways that this sorrow, this grief, this godly grief was, 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 was experienced, was showed. He says the first one, I'm in verse 11 about middle ways. It says, what diligence in you it produced. As the repentant sinner rejects indifference and becomes intentionally serious in his way. Someone who will not forgive or someone who will not rebuild a broken relationship is not serious in their walk with Christ. But the diligence, he says, it is produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. They strive to, to rebuild this relationship with Paul. What indignation. The word indignation means what anger of the offense and the sin. They were angry at their sin. What fear, fear of God's judgment that they had sinned against a holy God. What vehement desire to make things right with Paul. What zeal to honor Paul and to do things that were right. What vindication, their willingness to be forgiven of sin. Their willingness to be set free. There is a, those that have a broken relationship and they're not extending that joyful heart. It takes two to rebuild a relationship. I understand that. And there may be a situation where you've tried and you've tried and the other party is not meeting you halfway. That will happen, by the way. But it doesn't cause bitterness. Instead, there's a joyful heart. There's an encouraging heart. There's a repentant heart on your side. But then it leads to the fourth one. There's a refreshing heart. The last part of verse 11 says, In all things, in all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong. There was someone in the church that he addressed specifically. Nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. 
And we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Can you imagine Titus trying to find Paul with this good word that the church had repented? And how he was refreshed by it all. For if in anything I've boasted to him about you, I'm not ashamed. For as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections were, are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. The relationship has been restored and it creates a refreshing heart for Paul, for Titus. And for the church of Corinth. Paul concludes the end of chapter 7. We've been in this with the exception of last week because of Easter. For the last several weeks we've, we've been in this section of 2 Corinthians. And finally, finally there is repentance. Finally there is restoration. And now for the first time next week Paul gets into chapter 8. And really the main purpose of the whole book of 2 Corinthians is not for restoration between Paul and the church. It's that Paul is addressing a need in Jerusalem where there's a financial need and Paul wants to get to that and, 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 and address that with the church. But he can't do it because there's a relationship that has been broken but now it gets restored. And for the next several weeks in chapter 8, chapter 9, he addresses a little bit more in chapter 10 and 11. We come to some of the great texts in 2 Corinthians. How Paul addresses this apostle heart when it comes to giving, not just monetarily, but giving your life and giving yourself to the Lord. So if you're here this morning and you have a broken relationship with a family member, with a co-worker, with a classmate... There is nothing on this planet that should ever divide you and a believer. Embrace a joyful heart. Embrace a heart like Christ has where he looks upon us and he forgives us of all of our sin. Even though we have disobeyed time and time again, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Embrace a joyful heart, an encouraging heart. Maybe you need an encourager to help you through the situation. Maybe you need to be that encourager. You know of someone else. An end of two people, three people who are struggling to rebuild that relationship. Maybe you're the Titus that will come in and help rebuild. Whatever's broken will only be restored when there's repentance. Repentance means a complete change. Where you're turning from one direction and you're going to the other. Where you're laying down worldly grief and bitterness and self-pity and picking up godly grief and sorrow and forgiveness and repentance. Only then will it lead to a refreshing heart. And that can only be found through Jesus. I mentioned at the beginning of this passage that this was a text between two believers. And yet even in your own life you may not have that personal relationship with Christ. You have a broken relationship with your Creator. God, who is perfect in all of His ways, when He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross, was to rebuild the relationship with mankind because it was broken. It was stained by sin. It was broken by sin. Yet Jesus Christ sent, came to this earth and He died to rebuild what sin had broken. 
and how to have a relationship with Christ and to rebuild and to restore a relationship that is broken, it means you must repent of your sins. You must turn from your sinful ways and embrace forgiveness. Embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. He can refresh your heart. He can restore your heart. He can give you life. and He can rebuild what sin has destroyed. You must repent of your sins and you must choose Jesus as your personal Savior to rebuild what sin has broken. Let's pray. Father, God, I ask today as we lead into a time of invitation, Lord, that there are believers that are here today. And God, we all go through times where there's relationships that have been broken. And I pray, Lord, through this time of invitation, God, that we would pray and prepare our hearts for what we need to do. For some, Lord, it needs to, it needs to, uh, we need to rebuild, we need to regain the joy. We've lost the joy of our salvation. And the enemy has taken this circumstance and has camped out in our hearts and has covered every ounce of joy that is in there. Lord, may we, may we embrace the joy. May we say to that person that has wronged us, open our hearts to you. Open your hearts to us. God, give us the joy and give us a heart like Jesus this morning. God, may we be an encourager. God, I'm thankful, Lord, that in this church there are a lot of Tituses. They seek to, they see a circumstance that is broken. And they want to be that middle person. They want to be the peacemaker. Because when there's division in the church, the whole church hurts. Lord, if repentance is needed, may there be repentance. We look forward to the refreshing heart and attitude that will follow the Lord for those who have a broken relationship with you they're not a believer they're not saved Lord through your Holy Spirit would you call them this morning would you give them the courage to step out and to come Lord the believers may need to come and pray however you lead may we be obedient in Jesus name